there is a God who is so big, but yet so concerned about the hairs on our head. We read the scripture all the time, but see, I've seen the scripture come to life as I've watched girls' lives be transformed. This week on First Person, our guest is Mary Frances Boley, the founder of Wellspring Living and the author of The White Umbrella. She and those who work with her have dedicated themselves to providing sanctuary and restoration to young women who are the victims of human trafficking. You'll meet this remarkable woman in just a moment. This weekly series of first-person interviews are all archived online at firstpersoninterview.com. When you click on the Listen button, you'll find a long list of conversations to choose from. Use this resource and pass it on to others, firstpersoninterview.com. Well, the reality of human trafficking and sexual slavery is well-documented, and it's much more of a problem than most of us realize. Several ministries are effectively addressing all aspects of this human suffering, ranging from prevention all the way through justice for the oppressors and restoration for the victims. It's this last aspect, restoration, that Wellspring Living and Mary Frances Boley is focused on. And I wanted to know how God prepared her for this much-needed ministry. Wayne, it definitely was not an interest. I had no idea that that, uh, the issue of trafficking of children was even um, anywhere remotely happening, um, especially in the United States. But my story began, you know, as a young girl. Um, I think part of my preparation was having an older brother who had Down syndrome because I became his protector. Um, I remember one day on the playground there was a kid that was making fun of him, saying he was retarded and dumb, and, man, it just hurt me so bad for him. I just hauled off and punched him in the nose, and (laughs) he quit bullying my brother. It was before the word bully was out there, and um, it, it just came naturally because I felt that I was supposed to always protect my brother. It gave me a protective heart. But that's not how you go about ministry today, going around punching people, though, I hope. (laughs) Uh, No, we've tried to find a more civilized way to uh, fight the battles of injustice, that's for sure. But isn't it interesting how God does take an episode like that and Mm -hmm. really, you know, cultivate your heart for what was to come? Yeah, I think it was a defining moment, and I believe that, you know, throughout the rest of my uh, childhood and then going to college, my heart was for children, and I got a degree in early childhood education and uh, set off to be a kindergarten teacher. That was my plan for life, and um, just had a tremendous interesting intersection that changed that, and it happened as I had transitioned out to be home with my boys, I um was working with women's ministry, and one of the things that's also ironic is I have all brothers and I have all boys, and so working with women is kind of an oxymoron for me, but um, God used that time to connect me um, with a lot of people around our city, and when it came time that we felt that it was important to move outside of the church walls and connect with women that had really a hopeless place in their life, but yet knowing that there were many people in the church that could be a bridge to help that person, we began Wellspring Living. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was seriously begun because we wanted to see the church come alive through service. And what we found is that... um, once people who had been in Bible study was able to touch and walk alongside someone that was in a desperate place, their life just came alive. Mm. And so in 2001, we opened our very first home for women. 
ages 18 and up, and it was really for any hopeless person, desperate person that needed a place to be restored. And our goal at that point was just provide a safe place. It was a lot of love, and we wanted it to be a structured environment and really help them to walk forward in their lives. So therapy was a part of that. And um, in that first year, realized that most of the young women that came in the door were victims of childhood sexual abuse. We retooled our program to really focus on that, um, that specific trauma. And in the process of doing that, began to see young women who had faced all kinds of odds and had very little hope really become alive. Uh, you know, we believe that it wasn't Wellspring. It was God working through us. But such an alive and a new life in Christ and such a, a forward lean for their future that it, it would blow your mind. And we just, you know, we were the people who started Wellspring were just women who cared and their families. And it's always been this grassroots thing that God was doing. And so we just continued to do that. And in 2007, the mayor of Atlanta was at a breakfast and she came to me. I'd never met her before, but she came to me and she said, um, we need your help and um, helping these girls that are being bought and sold on our streets. And First of all, your mayor says something to you like, well, I should listen. But secondly, I didn't believe it was that bad. But the more I learned about it, the more I realized that you couldn't just keep uh, going on doing what you're doing when you knew there was something that you'd been asked to step into. And so it began this process of examination of what in the world could we do and realizing that God had been preparing us all along to move into a very uh, specific uh, um population that had no services because of the opportunity to spend time learning how to protect. And even as a kindergarten teacher, um, one of the things that uh, was a part of our life when you teach kindergarten is you look at the whole person, Mm -hmm. their body, soul, and spirit. So that was a preparation for what God, God placed before me. And then the time that we worked with all of the churches around Metro Atlanta, just helping them connect in a volunteer way with the hopeless and the those who were in desperate places, they were the very people that we reached out to when we got ready to find a, a space for the girls that helped to make the the dream of a home for young girls become a reality. So there were a lot of things that prepared me on the journey. I just didn't know it was preparation. I just <laughs> thought it was a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you look back and you see, oh, that's why we did that. And yeah. that's why that happened. So God was definitely preparing me. We don't realize what they are at the time, do we? Only in no. looking back do we see the whole picture, which is uh, true of all of life. But uh, Mary Frances, let me ask you, uh, some people listening right now may have a dream. Maybe they have a burden for something. And you did. Uh, you took some early steps. What what were some of those early steps toward realizing the dream that others might be interested in following? And were there any early models that you could follow? Uh, well, you know, the very first thing that I did all along this journey has been prayer. Um, I cannot begin to tell you how important it was for me to know that this was what God wanted me to do. And and then I feel like you have to be built up in the Word of God to step into something that is so dark. If God is calling someone to 
be a bearer of His light. You have to know Him, and you have to know who He is, and that only happens by just really immersing yourself in the Word of God. That's great and advice. Then I, I think beyond that, you do your research. You you read. I mean, one of the things I did immediately was read a book that talked about how people had been working with survivors across, um, you know, the world and finding out what are their needs. Well, that helped me to know what we needed to do for creating a program. And as far as a model, actually, we were probably the first um, program for girls who were survivors of uh, sexual exploitation. So um, we didn't have a model, but we had God. And I think that because of the way Wellspring started from the beginning, we just sought God and we didn't have a plan. Uh, It's not bad to have one, but this was just the way God did it. He created the program. One of the things that's a real sweet thing that God did from the beginning is um, we kept a record of everything that we did. And so now what we can do is help those who want to open homes Mm -hmm. for women and girls because we have, you know, we have a record and we can help them not make the mistakes that we made. But I really believe it's also extremely important when you walk through these doors of ministry that you surround yourself also with people who have the expertise that you don't have so that you, you know, you're... There's never going to be a one-man team. You have to have more people involved. So as you look at what it is God's calling you to, think about all the aspects, and then try to find those people that have expertise that can walk the journey with you. And we have a tremendous prayer team that prays for us along the journey as well. Well, it's interesting you have those uh, those markers written down, that history of what happened along the way. What were some of those early markers that you look back and say, Yes, God, that helped us turn the corner. I think the the thing that was the most remarkable part for me was to see God do things that I had never experienced before because I was watching young girls, young women who were in nothing had nothing else to hold on to except God and I saw him do miracles every day. I mean the markers were that you would see a girl come in and she couldn't look you in the face, she just was downtrodden and within weeks she was a different person. I saw God provide in ways I could never imagine. I love to tell the story of our first girl who was getting ready to finish our program and move into a host family home. She had, we had a basement apartment for her, and um, she was going to college and had a job and needed a car. And I've been trying to find somebody to donate a car because we didn't have money to buy her a car. And um, so the month before she was going to move out, I just said to uh, Melissa, I said, what kind of car would you like? And uh, just kind of having conversation. And she said to me, well, actually, I would like a gold Volvo. And I'm like, "Uh, Melissa, you need to understand, this is something someone will give you, and you need to be very happy for whatever they give you. But this childlike faith that she believed that if she would pray to God and she would ask Him, He would give her what she wanted, she said, well, I'm still going to pray for that. I'm like, okay, but I'm like, okay, God, please help me out on this one. (laughs) But it came the day before she was supposed to leave the program, and we still didn't have a car. 
And that Sunday morning, I was in my Sunday school class and just mentioned that we needed a car. And that afternoon, a couple called me and said, we have this car. We've taken really good care of it. We'd love to give it to Melissa. And telling me how they're going to get it all, you know, checked out before they bring it over to the church the next day. And I'm like, that's so sweet. Thank you so much. And what kind of car is it? A gold Volvo. (laughs) I mean, those are things that you just... You know, below your mind that God is so into the details of healing, not just the girls and women knowing Him, but He meets them in ways that solidifies the fact that He loves them. And that's what's been so precious in this journey, is to know that there is a God who is so big, but yet so concerned about the hairs on our head. We read the scripture all the time, but see, I've seen the scripture come to life as I've watched girls' lives be transformed. More from Mary Frances Boley and Wellspring Living coming up in the second half of today's First Person. The Winter Olympic Games are happening now in Sochi, Russia, and here's a reminder to pray for believers who are involved in the distribution of the Gospel of John, including the plan of salvation. Russian Ministries is coordinating this evangelistic effort all across the countries of the former Soviet Union at this very strategic time. Pray for many to receive the Word of God and understand and respond to God's love. For more about Russian Ministries, go to firstpersoninterview.com and click on the banner, Russian Ministries. My guest on First Person today is Mary Frances Bowley, the founder and chief strategic officer of Wellspring Living, the author of two books, A League of Dangerous Women and The White Umbrella. Mary Frances, we've talked about how God has led you to start this organization, and uh, we will hopefully talk more about what you do. But let's talk about the problem that exists. Why is there the need for Wellspring Living? Describe the problem that you're addressing. Yeah, so... The most startling statistic I think is important to start with is that the CDC tells us that one in four girls by the age of 18 will have uh, suffered childhood sexual abuse. And we know that 80% um, of those girls, it's happened among their families or friends. And so we also know those are not all the reported cases. So it's very prevalent. And that happening at a very young age puts a child in a place where um, they're imbalanced in their brain. It's very difficult for them to rationalize what's happened to them. And they are become vulnerable to someone who would want to take advantage of them. And so I would say that almost 100% of the young girls that we serve, that's been part of their experience and women. And the hard statistic is to realize that there are people not that choose to make a living off of selling children, selling them for sex. And so our girls, they are, you know, they're vulnerable. A trafficker is someone that is making a lot of money. Um, the statistic is that $250,000 a year is made for every girl that a trafficker has, and he doesn't usually have just one. Many people call this person a pimp. We call him more a perpetrator because he goes after, he lures the girls in. So there there could be a girl who has had this happen to them, and it happens 
in all kinds of places. It can be at a mall. It can be at um, an amusement park. It can be near where children get services. For instance, if there's an after-school program, they know where to go, and they know just the words to say to a young girl to make her feel good. And most teenage girls are kind of, you know, self-conscious anyway. Mm-hmm. So if this older person's, met, you know, taking time with them, they can let their guard down and then through the conversation and the way that this person um, grooms the girls, um, he will actually entrap them um, into believing that he's going to do good for them, but then he turns on them and begins to sell them. We know that um, there are at least 100,000 children who will be trafficked in the United States. Yeah, let let me stop you there because when most of us think of this problem, we think of places like Thailand. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the United States, yeah. our our own cities, cities like Atlanta. Yeah. I understand Atlanta is is one of the uh, one of the the central points where this is happening. Well, and so is Chicago, and okay. so is New York, and so is Los Angeles. See, we don't understand that, do we? Mm-mm. And a lot of people, even at the beginning, we said it's happening in Atlanta. Well, they thought they were girls from Mexico or from from uh, the Philippines or from Pakistan or from Vietnam or or India. No, these are girls who were born in the United States. They uh, they reflect your city. And not all from, you know, a lot of people think they're from poverty. No, we've seen it um, go from all kinds of socioeconomic uh, realms and um, culturally, ethnically. It crosses all barriers. Every girl, every teenage girl is vulnerable. And so, and every teenage girl in the United States is vulnerable. That's the, the hard truth of what we have to uh, face. So is it low self-esteem that they prey on? Is, is that, mm-hmm. is it's that a factor. That is part of the factor. You know, many of the girls that we serve, um, the, the another issue is they've run away from home. And if they're running away from home, they're running away because something's not right. Either they're being abused at home or maybe there's um, depravity. Maybe there's not enough food. Maybe there's a lack of supervision. And so they run away in their little 12, 13, 14-year-old mind thinking, I'm going to find something better. And these perpetrators, these pimps, they're just ready to pounce on them. And again, it is a lord. I think the the fallacy that was believed at when we first began to work with survivors was that um, that they chose this. But that is not true. Every girl that we have served has been coerced mm-hmm. and forced to do it. And then there's the whole thing of mind control that they they hold over the girls and scare tactics that make them stay. They can't just run away. And girls are sometimes forced to sell themselves from eight to ten times a night. I've heard even higher numbers. So I, it's really the destruction of the soul of someone. And I am so sure that God is so grieved over this because one of the things that I think is most interesting when you really get to know the heart of God, He knows what we need and He knows what we need to be protected from. And what we found over the last almost 13 years is that um, if you cross the line sexually, all all things are blurred. And um, he knows that if someone abuses someone sexually, it really is an attack against that person's inner being. And that's why he's so 
firm and so direct about staying pure. Those are the bad statistics. Those, that's the bad news. But the other part of who God is, is he can take the worst thing and turn it for good. Mm-hmm. And I think this is probably the most despicable thing yeah. I could ever imagine. And you've seen that but happen? Yeah. You've seen it turn to good through Wellspring Living? Oh, my goodness. Not through Wellspring Living, but through the power of God well said. at yes. work, good. through good. the people who are here. Absolutely. Through God um, using Wellspring Living, you oh, should say. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Lord was gracious when uh, we first began to work with the girls. One thing that I was able to use in my past was education. We learned that it's important that the girls um, get back on track in school, and most of the girls weren't doing well in school. They're usually um, a year behind in school, so we have a personalized education plan for the girls. And what we found is they can catch up what they've missed and get on grade level and many times graduate from high school while they're with us, which is a huge deterrent for them ever falling back into this trap again. Beyond that, we want to provide the life skills so they'll know what normal teenage girls know how to do, how to wash clothes, how to cook, and all those good things. And then we really know that there needs to be some healing. And so we have trained therapists that are trained specifically to help out with this particular type of trauma. And what we've seen is girls finishing high school, going to college, and really moving on with their life. It's not an easy process, and it's not a one, two, three. It takes time. It takes a lot of hard work. But God is great, and He is powerful, and He is transformational. And just like I said, how He answered Melissa's prayer, you know, we've seen that multiply over the years in exponential ways, girls who come in and just you wouldn't think they would ever be able to do anything, and now they're in college. So How encouraging. I know the rescue part is so important, but prevention is important as well. What are you doing in the area of prevention? Yes. So one of the things that we try to do is, number one, we do a lot of um, conferences, and we work with partners who are maybe working in the education field. We um, try to talk when we go out and speak in churches and at civic groups, talk about what are the signs and what are the, the, what are the precursors for someone falling into this. And so we try to help parents know the best thing you can do to keep your child from falling prey to a perpetrator is to love them well. And so talk about what that looks like. We do some training for teachers on um, strength-based and trauma-focused, looking at children at at trauma and how do you help them strengthen who they are so they can perform well in school. Um, We we have a great team of people who are always praying for the children who are vulnerable. There are many children at risk, and so it's important that we pray that they can be protected from that. Um, Our focus is on the treatment and the recovery of those survivors, but we can't neglect that we can be a voice of saying, avoid this, avoid that, Mm -hmm. be sure that you do this, because we don't want to see any girl go through what we've seen our girls go through. Mary Frances Boley, our guest today on First Person. She's the president and founder of Wellspring Living and the author of two books, including The White Umbrella. Concerning what you've heard today about her calling to come alongside those who are the victims of human trafficking, you'll find even more information through the links we've placed on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. As you heard today, Wellspring Living focuses on restoration programs and training 
but it's involved in other outreach as well. All the details are on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Just follow the links provided there. We also welcome your feedback at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Next week, we'll learn about Christian broadcasting in other parts of the world. Our guest will be Ron Harris of Media Alliance International, which mentors and encourages broadcasters in other countries. And I hope you'll join us. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard, inviting you to join us next week at the same time for First Person. First Person.